What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about the latest stuff with the NRA. We have Josh Kovensky here, who's covering this ongoing NRA story for us. And we're also going to talk about just what's going on with like with oversight of, of President Trump and and is it happening, really? Uh, have my co-host, David Tainter, here. Hey, guys. Hey. Uh, we're hey. back from... A back from, uh, little brief hiatus, I weekend. guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and also, yeah. And the weekend, exactly. For the, for the show. You know, it's funny. I don't know what you guys think, but um, it seems to me, I, I'm actually writing a post about this right now. It seems to me there's a pattern going back over a week or maybe a couple weeks. It's not entirely new, but it seems to have accelerated. And that is that every time there is a new Trump outrage, whether it's this new uh, rape accusation against him uh, from a couple weeks ago now. Right, that was that the advice columnist Eugene Carroll right. wrote in New York Magazine. Right, a couple weeks ago now, but but and it's and it's from I guess a couple decades ago, but but new, you know new coming to the surface or coming out of this news out of the Southern District of New York that they're apparently dropping their investigation into the Trump organization with no charges. We have this these you know, hideously racist sort of raw tweets over the weekend uh, targeting these four freshman representatives in the House who call themselves the squad. Uh, this is AOC and, 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 and three, three others. And it seems to me that, again, over the last week or two, I've seen an acceleration of this pattern that when each new thing happens, when people respond, people who the kind of people who read TPM respond, their first impulse is to get more angry at Nancy Pelosi rather than more angry at Donald Trump. Uh, and they have reasons for that. Uh, there are a lot of people who think that, you know, there's not enough happening. We elected this Democratic House and like, where's the oversight? Where's the holding uh, him to account? Now, the impeachment so, proceedings, right? Yeah. And a lot of it, impeachment is, is the sort of the underlying question with a lot of this stuff. And some of these things are... I don't know what the Congress could do with the twenty-year-old rape accusation. That's that's really that that's not in the. Uh, I don't think most people would think that is in the impeachment, uh, you know, ballpark. That's it's 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 something something different. Maybe he should be indicted for it. Um, but I want I want to get into that, and Josh, I want to I want to find out from you, kind of get an update on all these you know these different uh, sure. subpoena fights and stuff like that, because at some level it is it's the Democrats' problem that it's in the nature of things that these things in the courts they take a while they don't you know they don't get solved in 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 a few minutes. So go over the ones that you've been you've been following. I mean, in terms of congressional subpoenas, I think that there are two big cases right now where the Democrats have basically been like halted by the Trump by, by Trump, not even the Trump administration, but by Trump personally. Mm -hmm. um, 
And those are one subpoena from the House Oversight Committee to his accounting firm uh, for you know many, many years of records um, about Trump's personal finances going back to when he was a private businessman before he got into politics. And there's a second subpoena from the House Intelligence Committee and the Financial Services Committee to his two longtime banks, and those are Deutsche Bank and Capital One, and that's in New York. Uh, and so Trump hired personal attorneys to sue to prevent both recipients of the subpoenas from complying. Mm-hmm. And those are now winding their way through the courts. So last week, we saw the first hearing um, in the D.C. appellate court, or the first oral arguments, where we saw Trump's lawyer defend the uh, blocking of the subpoenas. And his argument was basically that not only does Trump not have to comply with the subpoena, and not only does, or rather, not only does the um, uh, is his accountant barred from complying with it, but there is no legislation that Congress could enact which would could mandate any financial disclosure by any president. And beyond that, uh, Congress has no authority to investigate a sitting president. They only have authority to investigate like subsidiary federal agencies. Um, now, so, has, now, when you say that they they have stopped the Congress, you know, succeeded, ha- yeah. have they gotten rulings on the merits in their favor, or just that it, they've they've got it on some track that's not going to be resolved for like ten years, so it kind of doesn't matter? Yeah, I think the latter is more accurate. I, the game they're playing isn't necessarily one of trying to remake American law; it's one of dragging this out and delaying it as long as possible. And so in that sense, they have succeeded, I think, in stopping it by on, right. on their terms because right, I mean, this right. is adding months and it's just something... You know, the only similar case was uh, the, Bill, the Bill Clinton, Paula Jones case about whether or not you could enforce a civil judgment against the sitting president um, you know, where he had personal attorneys representing him. But this is basically unprecedented for a president to hire you know, a private lawyer to go and go to bat for him in a dispute with Congress. Well, it's, but, it's still, but it's still interesting to me on, on, the, on the substance because I, you know, this idea that that Congress can all, I mean, basically what they're arguing is if you have, if there's legislation you're considering and you need to do research to find out if that new law is okay, then you have some standing, but absent new law, you, you have no right to do anything, which is, which is, um, I, I think, uh, close to unheard of for, for the rights of a co-equal branch and, in what is, in a lot of ways in the Constitution, that was supposed to be the dominant branch. Right. It's Article yeah. 1. And I think that, you know, the kind of radicalism you just described probably contributes to people's anger uh, over what they perceive as Democrats in action. Because when you have President Trump hiring personal attorneys and basically making all these unprecedented moves to block the investigations, right. you naturally expect something commensurate from the side of the Democrats. But... I mean, they are half of Congress at this point, and I don't know. I mean, you know better than I do, like what they can really do in this situation. Well, it's it's in many ways, it's it's fundamentally a political question. I mean, they can, and I mean, it seems to me they do have. There are certainly things that he has done that they could, with a straight face, put you know push through article, articles of impeachment. I mean, the Mueller report basically says he obstructed justice, even though we all know about this very convoluted reasoning right. why they couldn't you know, say that. Uh, and I think, and I'm a little, um, my memory isn't uh, serving me perfectly here, but one of, I believe, the, the Nixon articles was basically saying, you're just kind of not, you know, you're not allowing us to investigate you, and that itself is like, we're impeaching you over that. So they can do it. It's, it's, it's fundamentally political yeah and that's a whole other right question do you feel like from our readers or people you interact with josh is there just a sense kind of you know if they're not going to launch an impeachment proceeding against this president like what is the bar like if not him what's i mean who hypothetically would be worthy of starting these proceedings you know what i mean yeah no i that is uh that is kind of it 
And I, I do think that, I mean, I was, I was just writing some copy about this, that whether it's, you know, you, some people might say that, look, the expectations are too high. You have one House of Congress. There's only so much you can do. You can block legislation. You do, you know, but there's there's limits. Or you can say, look, uh, Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer, they're just not up to the job. They're not, you know, they're not fighting the way they need to fight. But if we step back from either of those conclusions, we can see that at least among very energized, you know, active Democrats, people following the news, following sort of the ins and outs, watching MSNBC, or they're, you know, kind of they're active. They're they're listening to everything. There is just a huge mismatch. The, the, the scale of what Trump represents is like a 10, and what they're seeing is like a 2, right? right? And, maybe, and maybe, uh, maybe 10 is wrong, or maybe 2 is wrong. Now, I think Trump's pretty bad, but I mean, in the sense of like what you should be doing and what you are doing. And it's just, uh, it's, it's just kind of... Sp- Spinning out of control, I think. Before we speaking of spinning out of control, before I get any, we, we got a little swirling carried, out of control. Carried, yeah, yeah, carried away here. I want to. I just need to say a little brief message uh, on behalf of our sponsor, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. If you're roughing it in the wilderness or traveling to some remote destination, finding the perfect cup of ice coffee can be a serious challenge. Uh, you know, uh, I, we actually, I think I mentioned this. Were you what, just roughing it recently? I was up in Vermont recently, uh, dropping off my son for camp, and and my wife and I we actually brought Grady's. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was you know it's pretty we're pretty far gone, <laughs> uh, but Grady's cold brew is here to help. Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit is ultra light and packs flat, so it's easy to stash in your suitcase or backpack. All you need to do is add water, tap, bottled, or filtered directly from a mountain stream. No electricity or refrigeration required when you brew it this fresh. Each kit makes thirty-six cups of coffee for only 30 bucks and the shipping is free grady's cold brew is independently owned and operated in new york city since 2011 ready to give it a swirl get 20 percent off your first order at grady'scoldbrew.com that's grady'scoldbrew.com with promo code tpm now, D- David, remember there was, oh yeah, it was, someone thought it was great ease. Did you see that? I did not see yeah, that. Yes. So, so, okay. So someone wrote in and, uh, you know, we had Grady on here a right. few weeks ago and this like, you know, longtime reader and listener to the podcast said until the Grady's interview, they thought it was great ease ice coffee <laughs> or cold brew ice coffee. So like, a, like, you know, greatness, ease, you know, it it is, make America letter, great again, great ease. Ease. It is, ease. Ease. It is yeah. ice coffee with a lot of ease. Ease, you know? I guess. Just, yeah, something like that. So anyway, it's easy to that was the one thing, you know, we, we clarified when, when, when Grady came on. Um, in any case, that mismatch and, and like probably many of us, I spend way too much time on Twitter and I see all the, you know, the fights going on and we get the talk email, which is kind of, you know, editorial lifeblood of this organization. I see the responses and, and that inversion, I think, is a really big deal for Democrats right now. And I think we saw that play out in really, really sharp relief with the tax returns saga. Right. Um, and so just to remind listeners, I mean, that was a case where you had Richard Neal, the only Democrat in Congress right now empowered to request Trump's taxes, you know, wait until April 3rd to request them, even though the term began in January. Um, and then... And the uh, idea behind that was just to craft a careful request, basically, right? You, it was. you don't want to kind of rush into it and get the... 
get it wrong and then get exactly. slapped on by a judge, basically. Exactly. And I mean, he, he was very careful about it. But the criticism was, was that um, there was a certain point where I think by May, you know, Mnuchin had essentially refused the request and also refused a subpoena. And the question was, as well, why is it taking you a month to file this lawsuit? I think it ended up taking closer to six weeks. Um, and that was where there was a lot of anxiety, I recall, about, you know, why is the why seem to be slow walking this? Um, yeah. You know, could they be moving faster on this? You know, I think I think it's one of these things that, we, you know, we had uh, a guy named Ted Kalo. We had the thing about the name. I, I, I'm right. I, I'm pretty certain I'm pronouncing it right. And I apologize, Ted, if I'm if I'm screwing up pronouncing your name on 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 before the millions of people who listen to this <laughs> podcast. In any case, uh, Ted is a, a former, a longtime uh, senior counsel, uh, Judiciary Committee, so really knows his, his stuff and, and is no longer uh, work on Capitol Hill, but knows it and observes and, you know, kind of in communication with people who do that stuff. And he told us in one of our briefings a few months ago that it was like six, like the delay from like January 6th to April whenever was probably 60% you wanted, you know, you need to do it exactly right. You don't want to get thrown out of court because you did some, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you know, queue up a, uh, you know, an argument or kind of, you know, do a few hearings and all this kind of stuff. And then he said, but 30% is just like, dude, why are you taking so long? And Neil is clearly old school. He didn't, you know, you don't get to become the head of the Ways and Means Committee because you like investigating people. You do it because you want to write tax laws. And maybe more cynically, you want to get tons of, you know, uh, uh, fundraising contributions because you write the tax laws. It's not what he wants to do. And, you know, to your point, Josh, um, you know, why did it take six weeks? What the people on the Hill always say is, look, you're going up against judges and you need to be able to say, look, we gave it. We worked with them in good faith. They just shut us down. You need to do that. And it seems to me almost every time the individual argument makes sense. Yes, you need to set up a legislative purpose in that few months in the beginning of the year. Yes, you need to sort of give them time to show the judges that you're working in good faith. Each point is a good point. But at the end of the day, you look at it and you say, or, you know, voters, Democratic voters look at it and say, like, man, it's been six months, dudes. And, like, what has happened? Nothing has happened. Like, the big picture, you're blowing it. Yeah. And I think in people's, in the minds of voters, the tax return issue in particular is very, it's symbolic because Trump, as we all know, is the first president since Gerald Ford not to publicly disclose his tax returns. So the fact that I think for a lot of people and Democrats didn't immediately kind of just, you know, out of the gate, uh, file the request. And even though we know that there are legitimate reasons why they didn't do that, um, you know, for a lot of people, I think that maybe may have been slightly disillusioning. Just, yeah. Just, just, yeah. A, yeah. just a side note on the taxes. Is this New York state law where Congress can access a president's state returns? I mean, is that going to shed any light, do we think? I think Neil suggested that he's not going to make use of it because the law still provides that um, I think it's the same people that are empowered by the IRS statute. Um, so it's the chair, chairman of the Joint Tax Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, and then the House Ways and Means. They're the three people right. in Congress who are empowered to request. And Neil suggested that he's not going to do it. And, and, I, and at least the idea was that I, I think this one was my understanding. He thinks that if he takes that, the judge is going to say, all right, you're not really playing 
right. like legit here. Yeah. You're, you know, yeah. they're playing games in New York State. Now you're doing that. Right. So this is like a fishing expedition. So again, it's one of these things. Like, okay, I get, you know, on its yeah. fi- on on its own terms. Like, okay, yeah, the judge probably. But like at the end of the day, like, right. dude, what is happening? But then you know, going off, you know, from their perspective, I mean, they got assigned a judge, Trevor McFadden, who's a Trump appointee, who last month, um, you know, issued a ruling in this border wall funding case where he basically, I mean, just denied that Congress had standing to even raise a complaint over that. Uh, so from their perspective, I mean, they've done the they've done the right thing because they've gotten a judge who's probably going to be you know more skeptical than some, some others might yeah. be. And case. that's an understatement. If it, <laughs> yeah. Well, let me well, ask you this: Is yeah. okay? He's appointed by Trump, but I think even of the Trump appointees, right. there is a there is a spectrum of people who were like utter Trump lickspittles to people who like would have gotten appointed if it were Jeb or something like that. Do we have a sense of him? Any, you know, any any insight on, on this guy specifically? So I'm just trying to pull up the text of the uh, opinion right now, because there were a few quotes in there that were just really uh, out Not there. promising for the <laughs> Democrats? <laughs> well, but I mean, this is the reason why it makes sense for them to have been so diligent. Again, I mean... I mean, it's fun to kind of argue both sides of this, but for them to have been really diligent in laying out the case for this, because then even if you get a judge like uh, this guy, Trevor McFadden, who wrote that, so at law, whether a plaintiff has standing often depends on where he sits. A seat in Congress comes with many prerogatives, but legal standing to superintend the execution of laws is not among them. Um, so maybe over the maybe in, in audio that doesn't read as extreme as it does if you read it right. in text, but uh, still he described the case as whether or not one chamber of Congress has the constitutional means to conscript the judiciary into a political turf war with the president over the implementation of legislation. And right. So that's an interesting point for him to make because the argument of you know Trump's people in the tax returns case and the subpoena case as well is that Congress is kind of stepping out of its boundaries by trying to use the judiciary mm-hmm. as like a weapon against the executive and that they need to resolve all these things through political means and that you know if you want you can pass legislation you can you know have an election and they'll resolve I mean in it, the yeah. in the I mean it's funny cuz that that's a pretty from the judiciary, that's a pretty, in general, that's a pretty weak argument because the whole point in this, and I know you're not making that argument, Josh, but you know, in the whole point in uh, this tax return case is that there is a law. They have a black letter law that just says, we ask, you give, that's right. it. And, and so they're just, you know, it's, anyway, I get, here's, here's the question that I'd like to put to you, Josh. In all of these different litigations and subpoena fights and stuff like that, have we seen many what what cases have we seen where the Trump administration has won on the merits, not just slowed something down. It's going to take months or years, but where they've gotten the key question before a judge and the judge has said, no, Congress, you're wrong. Trump, you're right. Done. I mean, so the one I just described with Trevor McFadden, where he, again, you know, accused Congress of trying to, like, dilute uh, the authority of the, of the executive branch. Um, and that's the whole thing with the wall, the, the, right, the that's diverting the, the funds exactly. and everything. Yeah, so that's Congress. I mean, it's, it's, it's a slightly separate issue. Yeah, I mean, there, there but, at least, that is a kind of a... Yeah. I, I'm not saying th- that he or the administration is right on the law, but that's a different order of sure. thing. I mean, in general, the, the president is the one who, yeah. who but you know, the, enforces the, laws. To answer your question, I, I can't think of anything that comes to Nothing comes yeah. to mind where they've won just exclusively on the merits. Some of the judges have suggested... You know that they are open to some kind of maybe settlement or resolution that would involve concessions from the side of Congress, but uh, either of the cases have progressed far enough, or we just haven't seen a result where, I mean, you know, the Trump team is just it kind of just won without any caveat. Well, it does seem like both from both in cases where it is the White House or the Justice Department, and these other cases where it's the president's personal lawyers, 
on both fronts, they seem to be taking positions that are maximal, maximal positions that are either ones, in some cases, that I haven't seen any like constitutional scholars, conservative or liberal, who think it makes any sense, or they're things that people think is possible, but it's the most maximal thing. And the plan is not really to win necessarily. It's just, we're just going to, you know, this is going to go on for years. And so who cares? And this might be time to bring up this other case from last week. This isn't congressional oversight. It was state attorneys general, but right. uh, the emoluments case. Right, right, right. Where the state attorneys general of D.C. and Maryland uh, sued based for a number of reasons, but they, among them was just that Trump is illegally receiving emoluments in violation of the Constitution's emoluments clause and the uh, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals th- basically th- uh, threw the case out of court. Um, I mean, and they were, I mean, with prejudice. So that's not, that, that wasn't great for the state attorneys general. Um, I talked to some legal experts after that who suggested, and what was interesting is that the case was thrown out on standing. And so again, they made this argument that Congress didn't have standing to sue over it. Um, and the interpretation then was that, well, maybe it's a constitutional issue for Congress itself to decide, which but, goes back to the impeachment. But wait, is this, this, but but this wasn't Congress doing, this was the state's attorney, state attorney general. State attorney general, but they're saying that, but in in the opinion, they suggested that, uh, you know, only Congress is the the body that can really process the issue of monuments. Right, right, right. right. Which, which, there's a certain logic to that, Um, you know, kind of one, I mean, I know it's more than one state, but conceivably, Interesting. Okay, so there's this other story. I want to. I want to get to this. There's this other story that that you have been on for, I guess, a few months now, and it has very, a few different permutations. And that is this sort of rolling implosion of the NRA. There was the coup. There's there's these uh, lawsuits in New York State. And then today you had this article about kind of like the beginnings of a sort of a donor revolt. People wanting to kick out Wayne Lapierre. Can you give us a sense, sort of globally, all those different things, what is the status of the NRA right now? What's going on? What sort of threat are they under? So the NRA right now, at least as of last week, they're now dealing with two state-level investigations. There's New York Attorney General has one that's been going on for a few months, and then the D.C. Attorney General sent subpoenas both to the NRA and the NRA Foundation um, on Friday, I believe. Uh, so, th- I mean, those are two dual investigations now that threaten them at the state levels. The New York investigation is far more serious because they have jurisdiction over the group's charter and they can pull its, uh, I mean, they can basically dissolve it if they, w- if they wish. Um, they would have, there's a standard of evidence they have to meet in court, but still, that's within their purview. Um, in terms of how it's looking internally, it's very opaque. Um, but the suggestion is that it's not great for them. Um, we know that they're under pressure from all this litigation. We, they recently shut down NRA TV. They've lost you know, this relationship with their longtime ad vendor, Ackerman McQueen. They've been together for 30, 40 years. What's the status of that lawsuit? So there's multiple lawsuits at this point. There's, right. there's two in, Ale- in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, uh, local court there. Um, and that case is progressing, and it, it sort of, the, the last stage of it was Ackerman McQueen kind of putting a gun to its own head and saying, like, look, if you don't, you know, give us a line of credit to cover these claims we have, um, we're going to pull the plug on NRA TV. And then the NRA just pulled the plug on it anyway. Right, right, um, right. So that, I mean, th- those lawsuits have basically dissolved the relationship between the two, but the claims have not yet been resolved. I mean, it, the claims are still, you know, they're, they're still proceeding in court. The claims yeah. in the sense of each one wanting damages from the other. Yeah. yeah. But but the, the 
I guess the main connection between them was NRA TV and now NRA TV's done. So well, kind of like it was NRA TV, but it was also, it's also, you know, magazine. So the magazines that the NRA publishes, Ackerman and Queen had involvement in and all these different ad campaigns. So if you think about historically, the NRA's biggest campaigns, uh, you know, I am the NRA or just Charles, Charlton Heston being like an ambassador for their brand, even after his death. Do they come up with that called dead hands line um, or is that from him personally? I think I, it wasn't him personally. I think they made. I, th- I think they wrote that line. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of like you know the, the yeah, most sort right. of famous. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah and which yeah. kind of brings us to this like donor revolt because there's this really macabre element to uh, one of the which I mean for the NRA it's already a macabre situation, but like among the most macabre like elements of it is this thing they have called planned giving, which for listeners who aren't familiar, um, they market to elderly members. Uh, language like basically bequest language right so you right, can right. insert into your will a bequeathal of your estate onto the nra something like a constitutional death or something yeah like something that, like, right? I, th- I think it was like something like a constitutionally protected like <laughs> will or something like that yeah and, yeah. and in fairness to them like like every every university right. and college in the country does something similar sure, to that yeah. they but encourage this, people though, to donate money at, at at death yeah yeah and so with this though they have like little perks so for example if you decide to bequeath more than a million dollars you get like a bronze statuette of Charlton Heston. The statue is so wild, I know. Yeah, and like, and you... you Something for your mantle. And you're you're inducted into the Charlton Heston Society, and you start... Now wait, does this happen when you like send them a copy of your will, or it happens when you die? Because it's kind of a... It doesn't (laughs) doesn't amount to much when you die. Yeah, no, it happens when you uh, send them proof of the the will. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, So there are all these perks, and what happened is, is there's this one guy, um, this longtime NRA member, kind of passionate firearm supporter. He's a colorful colorful person. Uh, His name is David Delaquila. And he, um, again, he's sort of a bizarre guy. He once, like, was profiled in the Baltimore Sun for eating two 48-ounce steaks <laughs> in one sitting. Um, and so he has this sort of bizarre background. But he's, uh, you know, he genuinely cares about firearms. We I mean, often talk to these people. Is They're, he based around in Maryland somewhere? or He used to be, but now he's in Nashville. Um, So that's one of the things we talk to all these people is that they're just like almost naively, like childishly just obsessed with this one issue. Right. And that's sort of the case with him. Uh, Not to be not to talk him down too much. But um, basically, he, you know, has been following all the stuff in the news. And he, a few years ago, decided to contribute a huge portion of his estate to the um, NRA Planned giving uh, foundation system, and I think you said aside from this, he's also given about a hundred grand in the last right. decade or something like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. So he's a major giver to start with. He is a major right. giver to start with, and but I think thanks to the major giving and to the plan, to the Charlton Heston Association meetings, he became very well networked within among other donors of the NRA, and specifically among people who had decided to pledge parts of their estate to the organization. Um, so he sees all these press reports about you know infighting and self dealing at the top of the NRA. Um, something happens, he won't say what, at the April convention in Indianapolis, the same one where there was the coup, where Oliver North tried to unseat Wayne LaPierre. Right. Um, and then he starts leading this campaign internally to convince donors to remove their bequeathals onto the NRA and strike the NRA from their wills. Um, and so and, he claims... And yeah. the thing, and, and until LaPierre leaves, that's what they want, right? right? that's the demand. Okay. So until LaPierre leaves, um, and they also implement a couple of other reforms. So he has like a list of demands, yeah. But the point is, it's not like they're saying, we don't want to support the NRA anymore. No. They want certain things to happen exactly. to be able it's to support It's interesting because it wasn't it at that 
convention, he was, LaPierre was reelected like unanimously, right? I mean, he was. And so it's a weird thing because they have a, so they have 76 people on their board um, and some of the sessions are held openly. And then there's also a smaller executive board within that executive committee that can make actual decisions affecting the structure of the organization, how things are run. So it's like halfway through the convention, the executive committee goes into closed session. You know, the key members of the board disappear and nobody knows what happens, but they come out and Wayne LaPierre has been reelected unanimously. So some people have been told that Wayne LaPierre basically offered up some kind of mea culpa, and he told them, like, you know, look, I'm sorry, but we're going to make this better. You know, just trust me, I got, I, I got us this far. Remember, he's been head of the NRA since 1991. Right. It's, it's been a successful tenure, as we can see from... No, I mean, but on their own terms, yeah. a massively successful tenure. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's reason yeah. within the organization to trust him amid all these allegations of corruption and self-dealing. Now, you're saying this guy who, the guy who's who's trying to kick up this, this boycott or, you know, kind of donor revolt... He says something else, like there's something that we don't know about that happened? Yeah, it's it's mysterious. He says that, well, here's the thing, is that, you know, he, he's a wealthy guy, and like a lot of other wealthy people, sometimes there's this sense of, like, I need to get, like, my bank for my buck. Like, I need to get, like, I'm paying for a certain level of service. Yep. Um, and so when he, he wants more than just the statuette. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> but, like, so, but so he, he has these stories about, like, going within the IRA and offering up these allegations of, like, Wayne LaPierre, you know, spending $400,000 on Hermenegildo Zenia suits. Right. Um, and then they would sort of rebuff him or be like, oh, yeah, we're going to, don't worry, we'll handle this. Right. And he's sort of like, well, like, why, you know, why aren't you serving me as well as I should be served? Right, right, um, right. And so I think what seems like what happened is in Indianapolis, he raised this again, and he may have been rebuffed more. And they just like, brusquely. whatever. Right, yeah. right. Okay. Now, and, and from your sense from this guy, what is his, is it the expensive suits? Is it, what is the, what's his beef? He thinks that. All the publicity around it is basically destroying, damaging the movement to, in their words, protect the Second Amendment. Um, and that, yeah. Now, did you get any sense from this guy, and you interviewed this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you get any sense from this guy that stuff like NRA TV and the sort of the, you know, because there's been this big move with the NRA, not just doing narrowly, you know, kind of gun regulation stuff, but a lot of kind of pro-Trump, right. Armageddon kind of, you know, this this stuff that to a lot of people verges into this almost like calls for like race war or something yeah. that, is, was that a, is not only crazy, but just not narrily about guns. And it's, we talked yeah. about during the kind of insurance protection right. saga, right. the right. kind of almost like military training kind right, of stuff. Right, 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 right. right. And so you, him specifically, he hinted at some of that, but I think it's worth noting here that there are a lot of other voices in the kind of gun movement that have become more and more skeptical of LaPierre's leadership. And they a lot of them will cite the NRA TV and the fact that it's not it's no longer just a um, you know, pro firearms, anti firearms regulation movement, but specifically just, you know, kind of right wing of the Republican Party, nativist. Right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's branched out into that. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting because I mean I would think it's at some level, you know, it's not for people like us to really have a sense of like our Second Amendment people really want to keeping it pure Second Amendment and not, you know, not things about fake news and all this kind of stuff. But a lot, there's a lot of overlap. But you're saying there actually is. There's a sense a, that at least in RTV, they went too far, straying away from the core mission of, you know, stopping gun regulation. Um, there's people will also express. I mean, for example, John Dingle, mm-hmm. um, the new deceased congressman, he founded the NRA's Institute for Legislative Action, which is their really influential lobbying arm. Right. And so people will talk about how you know, well, uh, maybe if we weren't so extremely, you know, kind of in support of the Republican Party, we would have more Democrats kind right. of supporting supporting our initiative. 
And I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, it is is interesting because this does go... I mean, certainly 20 years ago, there were still a number of Democrats, not just who opposed gun control, but sought and got... Um, uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? You know, endorsements yeah. from the NRA, and and it was funny because there was definitely a, I think it was in the late '90s, maybe in '94, and it got it got press reporting at the time that the NRA, NRA made a decision that was basically, look, even if you're good on guns, the fact is, the Democratic Party is where the push for gun regulation is coming from. So we're just not gonna, you know, we're we're gonna be against all Democrats. And frankly, th- there is. There's a good logic to that. that you know, uh, uh, people on the Democratic side make similar arguments about pro-choice Republicans. They say, like, it doesn't really matter if you're pro-choice. The fact is that the Republican Party is anti-choice. So kind of like, it doesn't matter. You're in the wrong party. Um, so, I mean, they made, you know, they definitely made that move first. Um, but sure. yeah, it's, it's... I mean, the yeah, NRA TV yeah. stuff was kind of like Fox News to the extreme, right? I mean, yeah. it was just the most yeah, it's hard. apocalyptic, kind of yeah. just wild stuff that you could imagine. And the other thing was that nobody was watching it. Yeah. That was part of it. Is well, that yeah, it's just were... like YouTube videos and Twitter right. snippets and whatever. It's Dana Loesch and kind of like yeah, a bunch were, of other random people. And they were blowing 40 million bucks a year on something that, on this extremist stuff that nobody was paying attention to. It's, well, the funny yeah. thing Do is... You know, was a lot of that salaries for some of the talent or was it like production costs? Well, you know? that's a really fascinating question because one of the allegations in this lawsuit was that, you know, Oliver North had a separate contract with Ackerman McQueen, which was responsible for his NRA TV web series, which was giving him uh, additional payments on top of what he was getting as a... Nice. Nice. As president of the NRA. It's a good gig. It's funny because there was, I'm not sure it was one of your reports, Josh, or somewhere else, but there was one report about the traffic the website got. And I don't remember what it was exactly, maybe like, I don't know, 100,000 unique visitors or 50,000 unique visitors. And I know from what I do for a living, I know a lot about web traffic. And this is a fraction of TPM's traffic. And obviously, TPM is not the biggest organization in the world, right? Now, I think on the other hand, I mean, the, the sort of the counter to that is they're really pushing things on YouTube and stuff like that and right. Twitter. So maybe, maybe they didn't care that much about you know the traffic to their website. But still, you imagine but they even want so. You imagine yeah. they want to make conversions, right? You get into it from NRA TV. If like you want to become a member, forty or something, million right? dollars, man. I mean, believe me, yeah. we spend a lot less than forty million dollars. <laughs> and there's an interesting thing going on there too with the NRA. So this goes back to the plan giving thing, but their membership is demographically skews way older. Well, I don't, and especially if you're marketing like when you die. I mean, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, and so but you, and so you talk to some former employees of like Ackerman and Queen, for example, yeah. and the people who work in the NRA account, they all say, you know our big task was to find ways to market the NRA to younger people. Um, And it's interesting that they were pushing what was basically like extremist, like nativist rhetoric at a time when the alt-right is kind of booming among like, you know, younger people. And they just completely failed to get any footholds like online. Seems like more of like a libertarian bent would be smarter for them almost. Just kind of like people who are not really interested in the nonsense stuff, but they just want the kind of, you know. You know, I always wonder, though, how much that, there's not a big demographic yeah. for that. Right. There's not a big dev sort of like, you know, virulent. I'm not, I don't hate anybody, but I just really don't want any regulations of <laughs> right. my financial existence. I mean, yeah. that's just, that's yeah, not a yeah. mass thing. But it's funny because when you said about, you know, the sort of apocalyptic nature of NRA TV, when we were talking about it a moment ago, I was trying to find the word for it exactly because there was a lot of racist stuff in there but it's not but but explicit racism was not the core of it it certainly wasn't about 
Second Amendment, most of it. It was it was basically, you know, the forces of disorder and liberalism and socialism are out there. And it's pictures of like, you know, MS-13 gang members and sort of Antifa people like, you know, running around in their little ninja suits. And even like New York Times headlines. Yeah. And and, but not in the lighthearted way I'm saying of kind of like, you know, all these people are coming to kill you. And and that's just wild yeah. stuff. Did, did they once shoot a copy of the New York Times, or is that somebody else? Am I confused? About uh, or is that Eric? <laughs> Eric Erickson okay. did. I don't know if they did too. But, but it's, it's uh, easy to get these people mixed up. Yeah, right? um, uh, I, I don't remember. Certainly, the New York Times. There was. I mean, Dana Loesch had the famous kind of anti-Times rant, right? Yeah, they where, had one like video that was just yeah. about the New York Times, right. and then there was I can't remember, but there was something. Like it may not have been like literally shooting it, right. but it was like <laughs> very hardcore about yeah. about the times. And it, it's funny. I mean, I'm curious now to go back and watch some of those things because I remember when they were sort of. I don't know when NRA TV started, but I know when it when those videos kind of got onto our radar, which maybe I don't In know the last a couple, couple years. Yeah, yeah, a couple years. And people were sort of like watching them as, again, I don't know when they started, but at least when they came onto people's radar, and they would see this stuff. And even for the NRA, like, there's not even talk about guns here. Exactly. It's right. just like you hate anybody who's not a Republican. And, and, and really presenting it in this sort of like, it's us or them. You know, they're going to win. Are we going to win? And we have to destroy them before they destroy us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really. Why? And and has that kind of like you know what is is the guy's name? Michael Bay? Is that? Oh yeah, yeah, right. You know that kind of like really wild (laughs) production values and kind of like you know spaceship coming down from the sky shit and stuff like that. Uh, All right, so that's no more. They pulled the plug on that. They pulled the plug. Yeah, and I mean the hosts are looking for looking for new employment. So like Dana Loesch, is she not? And I guess she has other things going on. I think. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> so what is okay? So let, let's wrap this up. Do you, do you have a sense, sort of globally? Is this an organization that is now sort of partly disabled by all of these things happening? Even if they may recover from it in a few years, what's the status? How do you how do you evaluate? So there's been some reporting on that out there. I think Politico had a story last week about how, you know, some 2020 Republican strategists are worried basically that because the NRA is out of commission, they're just not going to be able to make money available or be able to wield their influence for the presidential election next year. Right. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's a big, big hint. But I also don't want to... That was a concern of the David guy you talked to as well, right? Right. And that's part of why, I mean, you have this revolt. Is this because the donor, they, the, the big donor, the donor guy? Yeah. Okay. And so he, and he specifically said that 2020 is one of the reasons why they want to do this now is because they think it's going to... They want to get ready, huh? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's definitely motivating anxiety among within the NRA and within the Republican Party. It, it's tough because, I mean, they still, I mean, they're, they're huge. Yeah. You know, they have a lot of money and I don't want to kind of overrate the idea that they're going to be out of commission or collapse because they still have this infrastructure. But on the other hand, they've lost people who were influential. Does, was, it, yeah. does it feel to you like, I mean, it seems like in, a, in an organization like this, you kind of, if you follow the money, that's sort of like where, you know, the story will be. And so if these wealthy donors are getting pissed that, hey, you're, you know, I've given you $100,000, I'm leaving you, you know, millions in my will. Yeah. And what did he say? There's been 150 million that's been pulled, hypothetically, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's his, like that yeah. could maybe actually tip the scale a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, it could depending on. Well, it, again, it's 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 a bit dark, but it's like it depends on when they all die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but no show money for now. Yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. Uh, but, but okay, so tell one other thing I wanted to ask sure. before before we finish up. 
I forget the name of the guy who heads the ILA. The Chris G- Cox, he's, yeah. Okay. He got booted, basically, because right. they found out he was part of the coup, too. What does that matter? Is that a thing? Is it, do we care about that? We do. So okay. he, um, because so here's the interesting thing. You talk to NRA members and people who are involved in managing the organization. There's a lot of mixed feelings about Wayne LaPierre, but he, um, I've never heard anybody say anything negative about Chris Cox. Even if they disagree with him on strategy, there's a, there, there, there was a respect for him within the organization. Um, and how and long had he been with in that kind of role in the organization? On that role, I want to say at least 10 years, but he'd been within the NRA for 15 or 20, like basically his entire career. And he's only, he's not as old, I mean, LaPierre no, is like in his late 60s. He's, this guy's like 40 or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's basically like his whole career has been there. Right. So, and he, uh, well, I mean, the only thing I would add is that he founded his own lobby shop in D.C. like last week. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's, he's, so he's, he's doing okay. It's, it's, yeah. t- time to cash in. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. Well, listen, uh, let's, let's remember that the Josh Marshall Podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Ready to give it a swirl. Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And the other thing to remember is subscribe to TPM. Subscribe yes, to TPM yeah, Prime. Subscribe. We also have the ad-free version of, of TPM Prime, which is only a few dollars more a month. Uh, if you want to if you want to sign up, just go to our website, talkingpointsmemo.com, and you click the Join button and join. And that uh, supports uh, our whole team uh, for every, all the news we do every day, and it supports this podcast. And so, we have a little promo code, right, for listeners, don't yeah, we? Yeah, but, but I kind of artfully <laughs> avoided that because I forgot. Sorry, is it a deal? It's is talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal. Perfect. Okay. Talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal. And what is the percentage they 20% get? 20% off. 20% off. I just saved you. David just saved you 20% <laughs> because you were just going to go in the front door and get fleeced <laughs> for the full amount. I mean, we'll take the full, we'll take yeah, 100%. You, yeah. So, I mean, but. if you really want to do the right thing, you shouldn't take us up on that deal. You should just go and, and sign up All because right. we really need all the money. Okay. On all that, right. On that uh, note. Yeah. On that note. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.